Hello, and welcome to an emotionless episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. We are your cinemechanics, Brett Mosier and Travis Santana, and today we'll be reviewing 2002's Equilibrium. We'll jump into five-point inspection with I've Got a Feeling, Morality vs. Emotion, I Know Gun Fu, Toxic Masculinity, and Press Start to Continue. But first, let's check in on the shop. Uh, hey man, what are these contractors still doing here? Yeah, well, the, the fire damage to the shop was a little worse than we thought. Uh, I figured we could pay them a little bit OT, kind of speed things up. Yeah, no, I, I mean, what are these contractors doing here? I thought we agreed we were going to use Neo and Trinity's crew instead. These these guys seem like fuck-ups. <laughs> hey, uh, Preston, hey, go, go ahead and have your guys uh, take 15. Yeah, no, no rush, no rush. Jesus Christ, man, <laughs> at least wait till they get out of the room first. I don't give a shit. Look at this drywall. Look at these gaps. Look at this piss-poor craftsmanship. Hey, I mean, you can barely notice. I, look, I know Neo's crew. Uh, they've done some revolutionary work, but they charge three times what Preston's team does. And, and did you see Preston and Brandt? They even have the cool black uniforms. Okay, so they ripped off the uniforms. Is that their selling point? Uh, no, far from it. Uh, check this out. Uh, Preston gave me this brochure. Uh, for just an additional 10%, the crew, they'll use their patented staple gun kata. What in the hell are you talking about? Well, look, look, let me just read you this part. Uh, through analysis of thousands of recorded construction jobs, the cleric has determined that the geometric distribution of staples versus nails at any construction site is a critical... Hey, hey, just, just, just stop. I mean, I, I have no idea what the fuck a cleric is on a construction site, but that, that's enough. Uh, yeah, if I'm honest, I don't, I don't really get it either. But again, is Neil's crew really worth the price? I pay it gladly. Now go outside and fire those bums, and let's just go ahead and review Equilibrium. In a future post-World War III, humanity has been deemed unworthy of emotion and banned from feeling. To enforce this passionless world, citizens are required to administer a suppressant known as Prozium II, and enforcers known as clerics trained in the art of gun kata root out and destroy all contraband and personnel that could lead to any sensation. Travis, before we get into five-point inspection, I would love to know your quick diagnosis of this movie. Well, I think this is a maybe a first for Hollywood Chop Shop. I I don't know if there's a movie that, okay, we saw this movie when it was relatively new, I guess close to 20 mm. years ago. Uh, so we were, what, 18, 19 mm. tops? Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I'd like to think that we had, you know, good taste in movies back then, but I think it's natural to really enjoy things that are a little bit shittier when you're younger and you haven't seen as many movies. We didn't like this movie when we saw it. Uh, so I was interested to see, you know, was there just an angle we were missing? And, and maybe there was something that I would appreciate a lot more this go round that we missed, you know, as teenagers. Uh, no, I I hate this movie. I still hate this movie. I found new reasons to hate this movie. Um, I think... 
sci-fi you can make or break a movie just with the premise just with the the setting of the, you know the world that you're living in and the sci-fi you know movie that your your story you're telling mm-hmm. i i hate the premise already of this movie and we'll get into the details in five points but yeah this this movie hasn't aged well it's it's aged quite poorly what what did you think well i think it aged poorly in 2002 looking at some of the graphics that they chose to use i really i didn't get a chance to do it, but i wanted to see whether the movies came out in 2002 that this competed against because i'm like at the very beginning some of it is just awful even not just to the graphics to some of the sound design they used. When the first time we get to watch Christian Bale use Gunkata and literally you're hearing the I'm like, oh my God, this is a cartoon. Like this is I'm like, who who what set does, like it would have been cooler if just no sound was made at all. And it was just like he's moving so fast, it's just like all you hear is gunfire. But I mean literally to hear the of his hands moving like this is it's a it's a it's a a comedy in of itself like this you would think the movie is making fun of itself but i don't think it even understands to that extent um but yeah it was the same thing you did when we agreed to do this movie i think both of us like we chose it because we had watched it so long ago we're like okay now we're we we've you know we've grown as reviewers and stuff like that like is there more to this movie that we didn't get when we were 18 um, and to your point, no, I I think it it is actually worse, and especially as as our movie taste has evolved and grown, it does the one thing that pisses me off in movies more than probably anything else. Just the one thing, Brett. It, it does a lot of things. This, oh, it does a lot of things, but there's one thing at the top of my list that it automatically takes me out of a movie, and it will go ahead and I think it it jumps right into to I've got a feeling from five points, and that's when a movie especially a sci-fi movie that is building its own world. You have, you are the creator. You have complete control over how the movie is shot, done, the dialogue, everything, right? Especially with this one, because this guy really, this was his baby. And you almost immediately start to break your own logic. You break your own rules. It drives me up the wall. The whole premise of this movie is that nobody can feel emotion, and they start feeling emotion almost immediately in the movie. Like, I mean, we just started joking about it. Like, let's see uh, how long it takes before I say something about... First off... <laughs> first off, Preston is supposed to be one of the top-notch guys who can... He just has a sense when people are feeling like... But he can't tell that, that Sean Bean... <laughs> is immediately feeling or that his children have not been taking their prosium for apparently at least months. So apparently your top notch guy doesn't know jack shit. Um, but, um, my notes are like, he can't, he, he can sense them. Cause Sean Bean was clearly feeling something and he didn't get anything out of that. Um, I'm at one point, I think the father who we find out who the father is at the end says, I hope you're pleased. I'm like, that's, that's a feeling being pleased is a feeling. You're not supposed to do that. Um, is wanting to advance your career. Is, is that not a feeling like, to, you know, pride or to like, I'm like almost immediately. It's like, you don't understand what you've like, you've opened this and you've been so vague with what you define as a feeling or emotion. You immediately start disregarding what all of that means. And it just, it drives me nuts because then the movie just becomes pointing out every time the movie fucks up its own logic. Like, up, oh, that's a feeling up. Oh, that was a feeling up. Oh. Like, I mean, was it Tyree when he says, I'm weary by nature. That's a fucking feeling. Like, that's emotion to be... <laughs> I'm like, none of this makes any sense. <laughs> and, and it was doomed to fail. I, I'll, I'll be honest. There's no way that you can write... If the premise of this movie is going to be no one in society feels emotion, 
that's a terrible thing to make a movie about because to your point, there's no way the most skilled screenwriter in the world can't write a script if if that's truly the premise of the movie. So this, like I said, this movie is doomed to fail right away, which, hey, okay, I've seen plenty of sci-fi movies where the premise is flimsy. You just hope that you have, you know, beautiful visuals or groundbreaking action or, you know, memorable fights. This movie has none of that either. You could, like you said, you could pick any premise in the world, so you choose a very flawed one and then also don't execute anything else. Well, because not only that, it just feels like this entire movie is just a vessel for Gunkata. Like, he came up with the idea for Gunkata. I'm like, there was so much more you could... If that's all you cared about, there was a much easier movie to make of it. And what irritates me more is... So I was reading some reviews, and apparently, like, uh, Ebert... Roger Ebert gave this three out of four stars and his comment was something along the lines of, you know, most of these brain, you know, this could easily fall into the brainless sci-fi movies, except that it's not brainless. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like the, whatever point he thought he was trying to make was lost immediately. Like where did he carry the whole idea of emotionless through the movie? Cause again, it is lost almost immediately. Yeah. It, this is going to I'll go ahead and kind of wrap in uh, morality versus emotion because it, it goes along with what we're saying. But when I really knew that, oh, God, this is going to be like I should be paid at least minimum wage to watch this movie because it's going to be difficult to finish <laughs> is the scene with the puppies. Like, oh, God, yes. And and my question is, I, I know you're supposed to be in this society. You, you take a drug to make you not feel any sort of emotion but what is the, what is the difference between emotion and morality like even if i'm taking xanax and i can't feel a thing i still inherently know wow it's pretty fucked up that we're just gonna massacre these puppies like again the 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 logic and the consistency of this movie i just don't understand okay you don't feel emotion but you have to kill puppies like you're going to so, literally have the puppy lick Christian Bale's face and then. So this will go into a little bit like I will probably kind of I had a lot of this in press start to continue, but I think it makes sense to, to talk about it here and just whatever is left. To, I have in my bullet points in that section. We'll talk about it. But like to me, the, the whole thing doesn't make any sense with that either. Why they decide to burn all the stuff, because if you're taking your medication, you're not going to have an emotional reaction reaction to the artwork anyway. Like they're going through and they're burning puppies in artwork to prevent people from having a feeling but just take your medicine that's all it you don't have to burn the artwork because if you're taking your medicine you don't have any reaction to it so i don't understand the point of burning the artwork or going out and hunting that stuff down because it's completely irrelevant as long as the people are taking the prosium which even that doesn't make any fucking sense because i'm like your entire society your control is based on people taking this at specific times during the day, and you've left it to human error that you get the exact number of doses you need every day, and you have to self-administer. I'm like, that. what government came up with that fucking idea, and how do you not have a bigger problem than this? Like, 
Especially when it's in a glass vial, which, again, I thought it was cute that the vial was shaped like a bullet. Like, ha, 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 ha. Never meant anything more than that than somebody was actually being clever in the props department. But I'm just like, he has one vial in the morning, and if it shatters, he's just fucked for the rest of the day? I'm like, there should be a collection of these somewhere. And honestly, it should be like a diabetes insulin pump is what should be attached to them that's just constantly feeding them this stuff. Yeah, if it's a, a dystopian future where, you know, again, we're doing the 1984 thing and, you know, we're, we're burning books, we're controlling the message, that's going to be an implant that's put in you at birth. Like, totalitarian government, and like you said, ah, it's just up to you to self-administer. Those things don't jive at all. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand why. I think you mentioned that it was the director's baby. I think the director's Kurt Wimmer. Uh mm -hmm. I don't understand why he felt like he need it it really feels like I don't know what I I, I can't for the life of me figure out why he chose the <laughs> I can't either. I can't either. It's I, so pointless. The, yes. <laughs> yeah. It makes no sense to me whatsoever the path that he chose to go down for the the suppressant in people. Like and I know there's been people who have done before but I'm like you know, Firefly did it with Serenity where, like, the whole thing was they were trying to create a suppressant that would stop people from being angry, and it wound up just making people so passive that they died, right? They just became, like, they wouldn't do it. I'm like, there's people that have done it where it's like, oh, it's kind of interesting the way you've taken this. Or, like, it's a specific, I think THX did specific emotions. I'm like, no, they just broad, not just emotion, the feeling in general, just gone. We're just not going to do it. It's all gone. The only scenario that I can imagine is Kurt Wimmer was working on this for five, 10, 15 years, writing it, writing it, writing it. And then the Wachowskis come out with the Matrix and he's like, fuck, I, I was going to do that. Okay, well now let me just pivot. How do I change it? And, and, you know, you're still controlled by the, the society's overlords, but I, I can't do, we're plugged into a, a simulation. So like mm -hmm. that was a last minute revision because it does not fit at all. No, it, it doesn't. It, it just, <laughs> no. Again, and that is my problem, is that that is all I focus on now is how quickly, at least when the father loses his temper, it's like later in the movie, it's explained like, oh, he feels too. And you're like, okay, well, at least like, because again, that doesn't make sense why he lost his, it doesn't make sense that he loses his temper and then Preston doesn't do anything about it. Like, whoa, that felt like emotion. I think we should. Father, are you are you feeling emotional? Like, he doesn't even know he's the father at that point. I'm like, your job as a cleric is to take that stuff out. It shouldn't matter what part of the government they're in. Like, he should immediately be reporting him for having like, oh, was it since a sense offense? <laughs> Which again, <laughs> I I assume this movie was originally a comedy. A, who out said sense offense out loud? I was like, no, that sounds great. That sounds like something people are gonna like. Mm, latch on to well number one again to your point brett even characters are betrayed here like their portrayals christian bale is supposed preston's supposed to be the the top of the top the best of the best but again like you said emotions all around him and he never detects it and let me just say i think one of our big complaints when we watched this as teenagers was the anticlimactic nature of the the tay diggs christian bale fight which, again, that, that's still a major complaint of mine. But to your point, the unintentional comedy level, I, if you told me Kurt Wimmer was trying to make a comedy, 
I'd give him credit because, man, when Tate Diggs grabs that katana and he's like, mind the uniform I intend to wear it a long time. And then Christian Bale just immediately, he doesn't even have a katana at the beginning of the fight. He has to pick one up again. It, I never noticed sound design, Brett, but you mentioned it earlier. When he cuts, when he cuts through Tate Diggs, it <laughs> makes the sound that you would imagine like... A transformer, not not Optimus Prime, just lightning strikes yeah. the and, and you hear this electrical sound, and I'm like, wait, is he a robot? Oh no, no, his face just fell off. He's very much a human. The unintentional, or if Kurt Wimmer's out there and you say it's intentional, I just have to believe you. The comedy was off the charts with that scene. Well, not only that, the the he kills Tay. Diggs immediately who's supposed to be a soup like the super soldier but then the father is the one who knows gun kata better than anybody and even the the father figure i don't i, I guess what does he play dupont i think or yeah he's <laughs> his facial expression while they're doing gun kata is just like sure panic like oh fuck i can't believe i'm in the middle of gun kata with preston oh god and i'm just like I was just like, it's so ridiculous. Again, this is, again, parts out of press start to continue because this whole movie feels like a shitty video game. Like, even the logic, it feels bad, like bad cutscenes to get you to action sequences where it's like none of it makes any sense. It's just so you can have another boss battle. And even then, I'm like, Tay Diggs was the boss battle. Why? <laughs> you cut him down immediately. And even that scene together. I love that Christian Bale kills all all of those men in a white suit and no blood is on the number of people he kills and he kills tate diggs in the father figure who are supposed to be again boss battle like level like they are the top of the food chain and the next scene is where he has a cut on his neck and blood coming on a suit I'm like who the fuck got a shot on him he literally just took out everybody and no one could even touch him what did he trip on something like this has to be self-inflicted and it, you mentioned the gun kata. I think Kurt Wimmer thought that was going to be a lot cooler than it actually was. Again, <laughs> I, I wonder, did he write a script that had bullet time in it? And then the Matrix came out and he was like, well, shit, now what am I going to do? Let's gun kata. And I, gun kata might, it, it could potentially be cool, I guess. You could, you could pitch me a movie where it could be cool. But if you don't have the technology to pull it off, because... My God, that scene when Christian Bale early in the movie displays it the first time. Uh, he look, What's the... Um, in The Mandalorian, what what was the robot that... Uh, uh, IG... It's one of the IG robots. Yeah, yeah. like IG-88. When IG... This, again, this is a podcast, so only you can see me, Brett. But the... I'm going to have arms and then just swivel <laughs> like this. It's cool when a robot does it because it's a robot, but they, they try to put the scene in the dark to cover the CGI, and it that does not work at all, by the way. Mm -mm. It just looks so stupid. Well, and, beyond and that, Travis, Gunkata would be cool if it was like Kung Fu and guns. Essentially what it is is you propose this as like there's going to be really cool 
choreography with a gun battle and instead what it is is it's one dude in the middle of a bunch of guys waving his hands around that's not engaging to watch that's not cool like i don't think of like when i think of like really dope action scenes like at the end when it's the the father and i'm like oh okay because they're actually a little bit of sparring here like there's actually some choreography going on with the gun kata but every time before that is it's just a dude in the middle of a circle just fucking waving his arms around and people falling down i'm like that's it's not what is like it's no it's not cool <laughs> and here's the thing you could say well hey this movie didn't have a uh, a high level budget and it's sci-fi so you can forgive the the bad gunplay but no john woo you know 10 15 years before this in hong kong cinema is doing beautiful gunfights beautiful choreography with no special effects whatsoever. So there's apps. It's unforgivable for the action in this movie to be so stupid and so bad when I've seen directors with probably still a quarter of the budget of this movie do it so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, while, while we're in it, let's just wrap up. Press start to continue. Uh, yeah, Gunkata, we have... <laughs> Again, opening sequence where he goes and kicks the door down. In someone's mind, that is awesome, right? In the logic of this movie, it makes no sense because you have a death squad that's already mowed down everything, right? No regard for any human life whatsoever. There's no attachment to the dead zone outside the city, so why wouldn't you just shell the buildings and blow them to hell? Like... Why are you even going in there and fighting these people? Like, you literally care nothing about them. And if there's artwork in there, you want to destroy it anyway. So it's just like, it makes no sense for these death squads or gun caught or any of this for a lone man to run into a room and shoot everybody up. Um, another part that didn't make any sense to me is the freedom photo. I'm not sure. So the whole movie, everybody... When is this supposed, like... I assume that it has been years since World War Three, and they were able to get prosium. Like, it's been a long time, right? I would have to assume, like, what, are, what yeah. are your thoughts, right? So, so the picture of Sean Bean and, uh, what is it, Emily uh, Watson, all right, who winds up being his love interest out of nowhere. The picture that he shows that it says freedom, Sean Bean is in a blue plaid shirt and there's a park behind him. Not to mention this picture is very shittily photoshopped where you can tell they were not together. And Emily Watson does not look like she cares about Sean Bean at all. So I'm just like, what is this picture supposed to display to me? Because all I'm confused about is like, when did they meet and become lovers? Because... No one's wearing color in this society. Where did he get the blue shirt from? And I haven't seen a park in or outside of the dead zone or city walls. So, like, where the fuck is this picture taken? <laughs> Brett, I, I love in this society. Again, I don't know what the, the, the limits are as far as feeling emotion. Because, like, Christian Bale literally has, like, a film on his window in his apartment. So, like... So that he can't see the sky. I'm like, what do you do when you go outside? Like, not to go back to a movie that we've already reviewed, but is is the message don't look up? Like, don't look up at the sun. It could fucking make you happy. Don't do it. Maybe it's you're allowed to go up after the sun rises and you have to be back inside before the sun sets because sunrises and sunsets, I mean, that's an emotional thing, Travis. All right. And we can't risk. We couldn't blow up the sun. So we just have to make sure people can't see it. I All mean, right. My another question I have about this, this terrible premise, this world building. What happens when, you know, 
somebody has a baby. Babies, I mean, babies, I, I'm as cold-hearted a son of a bitch as there is, but if I see a cute baby, I can't help but smile. What happens when you have a child? Do you have to double your That's dose? That's what the pro for. Yeah. That's a pro, yes, exactly. So there's that. I also love that Christian Bale is shown earlier in the movie having to forcibly remove the bathroom mirror, but yet his son was able to remove it and get his vials out and didn't flush the vials or just knock them further down into the wall. No, no, takes them out as apparently holding them and is never questioned by the guards as to, hey, what is all that? That's a lot of glass clanking around in your pockets there, son. What's that? Um, also, with the son being a hard ass, like the reveal that the son hasn't been taking his prosium. Yeah, that's cool. Except earlier, he reported his father. Yes. What kind of a son of a bitch does that? Yeah, the, his son might not be taking prosium, but he's certainly a sociopath. Yeah, the the snitch energy on the son was just <laughs> off the charts. He's just like you know, and, and you'll be stopping by to get replacement dosage before work, won't you, Dad? And then yeah, then to, to the fact that again. Preston is supposed to be at the top of his profession and his own son is just manipulating him like a marionette. <laughs> Which leads me to my last point in press start to continue. They constantly, we brought this up early, they constantly show feeling and emotion in society that's supposed to be rid of it, right? So wouldn't it have made more sense for this movie if clerics were allowed to have feeling, all right? Because they even kind of bring it up in the movie, like, oh, the only way I could get you into the underground is by allowing you to have feel. I'm like, wouldn't it have made more sense to just have clerics, they have, they're allowed to feel, but they've just been brainwashed or anything like that? They've just been indoctrinated into the, to the state so that they feel like whatever they're doing is wrong. I'm like, that would have been way more engaging and it would have made way more sense in this universe. Like, oh no, clerics are allowed to feel. But it's only so that they can actually find, like, clerics are essentially, they are socio, like, they're allowed to feel, but only so that they can root out people and eliminate them. But nah, nah, we're not going to do that. I mean, not only does it make sense in universe, but it also would make for a much more compelling movie. It, it would be much easier to write. Like, the, what you just proposed there, I want to see that movie because the, the dichotomy of... You live in a society where no one is allowed to have emotions. You have emotions because it will be very easy for you to detect in another person if they're not taking their meds. What would that do to a person? Like, hey, I'm hunting down people for feeling and I, I find them by feeling. Like, that's such an interesting paradox. And yet this movie does what it does. And it's already on the verge of doing it if you just explain that as a thing. Because, again, when Tay Diggs captures uh, Preston, uh, Christian Bale, because he's, like, losing it outside the furnace building, um, Tay Diggs is angry and throwing him around. There's a ton of emotion being thrown around by Tay Diggs' character. <laughs> I'm just like, and he's trying to invoke emotion from the people around him so that they will not, so that they will condemn Preston. I'm like... I don't think the director, was it uh, Wilmer, or I don't think he understands what emotion is, is what I think the problem is. And and you calling this this five point inspection, you know, basically comparing it to a video game. It makes perfect sense because 
the director later went on to do Ultraviolet, starting uh, starring Mila Jovovich, who mm-hmm. I think is married to Paul W. S. Anderson, who does all those fucking terrible like video game movies. Resident this, Evil, it, this one is, through eighteen. This is a hundred percent that it's the same kind of feeling that those movies give mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. Only they have source material that people want to go and see. This was an original IP that just died. I also didn't understand why all of the cars were like from the 1980s and then they just polished them up and painted them white or black. I was like, was that supposed to be a like, that's when the World War Three was like, I just don't understand why they chose all of these super dated vehicles. Oh, well, I I, I read a tidbit about that. It, it's so that it could the movie could be, quote unquote, timeless. Why? Why do people do that? Timeless does not mean pick something from 30 years ago. I mean, that was the one complaint we had about It Follows is just the mm-hmm. random decision to use dated technology. It uh, always winds up being more distracting when you try and make something timeless. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I will fully admit, I think it was a, a Cadillac Seville that uh, was apparently the cleric kind of car. And I mean, it it looked fresh, but it looked like it belonged to a, a 1994 drug dealer. <laughs> well, they yet were. They were dealing prosium. <laughs> that's that's fair. Um <laughs> Did you have any more or did you want me to touch on toxic masculinity? Let's go ahead and do toxic masculinity. That I that pretty much cleared it up for press start to continue. So this is not super in depth, but this movie felt to me like it was like a freshman year film class production as far as like the script because Let's think about the world that this movie sets up. You know, World War Three happened. You know, the opening narration, which is always a terrible sign of things it's to come. It's a red flag. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've only seen it done good one time, and that was... The, the Road Warrior? Mad Max 2? Oh, no, okay, twice. Road Warrior was good. I was also going to say Walking Dead. Okay, with uh, With uh, over, um, what is it, Johnny Cash's... Oh, fuck, what's this? Oh, you're talking about uh, Zack Snyder's... Yeah. Not Walking Dead. Yeah, the uh, Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. 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 Agreed. I thought that that was a good opening, like, montage, like, where you see the the nuclear bombs, and even that's not the same thing as it wasn't a voiceover, so that doesn't even count. That doesn't even count. It's just, it's just, yeah, Road Warrior, so. So, World War III happens, the world barely survives, again, the the theme of this trilogy it's like none of this i don't enjoy any of this because it feels too close to reality but yes i can imagine god forbid if world war three broke out the world's barely going to survive it we know hey there can't be a fourth world war but the solution to that is it's kind of akin to if you have a friend group brett and I, i know you know what i mean and listeners i'm sure you have this friend too there's always a friend in a group where if you go out and they can't have a good time or they're not having a good time, they're going to make sure nobody else has a good time. And essentially, that's the that's humanity's response to World War III is a certain segment of the population is like, okay, well, fuck it. You know, if you're not going to let us build our tanks and, and our jet fighters and bomb people, well, you know what? You can't have your stupid fucking movies anymore. 
You you can't read any fucking books. You can't you you can't fucking listen to music. If I can't blow shit up with you, can't have anything either. We're just down to the fact that you're just gonna have to sleep in a bed with no sheet on it and no cover over you. We're just gonna live in the most white bread basic society. Hey Travis, hey Travis, you got a favorite color? You don't get one of those either. (laughs) We're taking color away. You don't get colors. Mm -mm. Yep, white or black. You know what? Do you you want the white mattress or the black mattress? That's it. I'm just like. When the premise of the movie is based upon that logic, again, I knew this movie was going to be terrible within the first five minutes. Uh, it's pretty much when I heard the line, man's inhumanity to man, I'm like, ooh, this isn't a comedy. And that's only, I've only ever heard that phrase used in a comedic sense. So I was like, yeah, we're in for a ride. And And here's the thing. What is the subtext to this movie, if there is one? Because to me, the the only clear line is like, is this movie anti-taking medication? I think it's just as like video game. We just uh, hero has to come in. He uh, bad guys lost, and uh, we bombed the Prosium factory. So, so I, I'm just doing too much by solved. even trying to think that there is a subtext, subtext to this movie. Well, I, the problem is we probably need to go talk to Roger Ebert because he knew what it was, you know. I got, and you know what? 99% of the time, I love that man. Rest in peace. Great review. I, I, yeah, I would love to talk to him. Seriously, I, t- tell me the movie that he saw. Maybe he was on Prozine when he watched it. I... Yeah, I, this fucking movie. Yeah, it is a cocktail napkin idea at best. So uh, I think the other thing we really, we kind of talked about it throughout the thing was I know Gun Fu. It's just, again, this movie felt like the gun kata was, that was, the whole movie was based around that. Like, and I don't even know if they came up with the name Gunkata first and then built a movie around that or like he had the idea because I was reading some of the trivia on this and apparently like Wimmer did have a choreographer choreographer and they they argued a lot about how Gunkata should actually be and Wimmer basically won out. And then I guess the whole lines about Gunkata being fluid was actually like digs at the the other choreographer because they I think they wanted to make it a little bit more dare I say, action-y, as opposed to just ballet with bullets. Just a guy standing in the middle of the room waving his mm-hmm. arms, like you said. Yeah. Because so, even the, the the training for Gun Kata even makes it look like it's going to be more impressive than what it actually is. Because it is literally just a dude standing in the middle of a circle. So, I mean, you, like you said, you know that when he was pitching this, he was like, hey, you know how the Matrix had bullet time? This is the next bullet time. Like mm-hmm. that's the, that has to be why this movie got made. Gun kata. Yeah. And again, the best part is. Hmm. Also, I do have to say, the guy who ends up being father. If you've seen the mm-hmm. movie Braveheart, you'd know, you'd know the whole time that he's going to end up being the bad guy because he's the guy who <laughs> fucked over William Wallace. So, like, mm-hmm. God, this fucking movie okay. is awful. The guy has a lot of problems against freedom, or at least he's typecast as a guy who hates freedom. You know? 
God, and that te- the terrible flag of the the country or whatever they're in. I'm like, hey, are you trying to evoke Nazis or no? Uh, yeah, and then not only that, I guess it's four T's for Tetragamadon or whatever stupid fucking name they came up for their government. I'm like, oh, I just thought it was supposed to be like a crosshair because bullets and shit. That's <laughs> all I thought we were doing with this, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I also love at the end when it's like, it's the double cross before the double cross when Tyree is, uh, oh, sorry, I don't know why I keep saying Tay Tyree, Diggs. Uh, Tay Diggs. Yeah, Tay Diggs is, he's holding Preston's gun. He goes, he switched on me. Like, yeah, because his name's literally on the fucking bottom of it. Like, it shouldn't be hard to determine you don't have your gun, asshole. Like, <laughs> it's so basic. <laughs> it's so, like, there's so much in this movie where I'm just like, it's just bad. It's just like, it's so... This is a movie that gets made, and I'm wondering how someone gets to keep making movies in Hollywood. I, I mean, well, he barely did. I, again, ultraviolet is, is what he moved on to do later. Oh, boy. And I'm sure Christian um, Bale's people are working overtime to keep this movie off of internet discourse, because you never hear about this movie, and there's a fucking reason for it. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> the the dark spot on his career um so as we're closing out five points i think we'll go ahead and do blue book i do i have a caveat for blue book this week i don't understand um because there's a little bit of trivia that went behind it and it doesn't make any sense to me so i'm hoping you can do a better job explaining to me the numbers than wimmer was able to put together a sci-fi classic so the ticket price for this here flick estimated cost was an uh yeah the the estimated cost was 20 million dollars is what they're saying that it took to make this movie what do you think it grossed us and canada now i'll tell you this apparently that it was a limited release in the united states because miramax i believe uh claimed that it was it had already been uh, financially successful in in european and world audiences so they did not do they didn't want it to become a failure so they did limited release and didn't do a whole lot of advertising for this movie so with that said what do you think it with the u.s and canada for this movie was the gross domestic box office 7.2 million dollars According to the IMDb's and the Wikipedia's, it was 1.2 million. Eek. Very limited release. Do you want to guess what worldwide it was? Uh, I mean, you've, you've already indicated to me that it's going to be much higher. And I will say, just because this feels like the right opportunity, some of the filming locations used were beautiful. They used uh, several Olympic stadiums uh, that were built mm-hmm. for the 1936 Olympics in Berlin. Like completely wasted in this movie um but given the filming locations i'll say it made you're saying it was a success so by context i'll say 16 million that's what i don't understand travis 5.3 million and it says the movie cost 20 million i don't understand what is a profit (laughs) 
Uh, it, then it sounds like maybe this movie was uh, a little bit of a money laundering scam. <laughs> That's the only way that I could assume that it was successful if those numbers are accurate. And that's what I'm saying. I are the numbers wrong, but everywhere I look, I, I tried to verify those. I don't see unless it is saying that that is what it made. Is it made five point million dollars? So really, it was. Yeah, I, I said I, I have no idea. It confuses me, but I found that in multiple places that, yeah, they, it was a limited release in the US because it had already been a financial success abroad. This is not going to be interesting content for anybody listening, which, hey, if you're a new listener, thank you for checking in. Uh, why the fuck did we even watch this movie in the first place 20 years ago, Brad? <laughs> Whose call was that? Do uh, you remember? Somebody recommended it to us and told us it was awesome. And then we watched it and we're like, no, this was not awesome. Uh, this was pretty, pretty disappointing. OK, OK. Uh, but yeah, so let's that's blue book again i don't know what it means i'm gonna have to hopefully do some research for future blue books to figure out why what exactly the numbers are here but yes tag and title you ready to do some tag and title let's do it all right so i do have a few alternate titles for this film uh and then we'll get into our our tag our uh yeah tagline game so in europe many european countries this movie was actually called cubic which i don't necessarily understand uh in japan it was released under the name rebellion wasn't a whole lot of rebellion in the movie but whatever i guess towards the end there's a little bit i don't know but what i thought was interesting is this actually had a different u.s title. working u.s title was librium which was actually going to be the name of the drug in the movie but as they were going down that road, they found out that there was already a trademark for an anti-anxiety drug called Librium and had to change the name of the drug to Prozium, which is a combination of Prozac and Valium. Uh, yes, even to the point where like it was the people of Libria. So it was supposed to be Librium was the drug and Libria was the, 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 the city. Uh, but yes, so did think it was interesting it did have a different title up until the fact that you know go figure a pharmaceutical company already had that name so but with that we'll go ahead and do taglines so travis like every week i'm gonna give you three taglines one tagline is gonna be an official tagline for this movie one tagline is gonna be for a movie i find adjacent to it and the third tagline will be one i created myself what I need you to do is tell me the official tagline for 27, 2002s, <laughs> 2002s, oh boy, uh, equilibrium. Are you ready? Hit me. All right. In the near future, freedom is a thing of the past. It's time to rebalance the scales and search for truth, find freedom. Give me the first one again. In the near future, 
Freedom is a thing of the past. Because I have so much respect for you, Brett, and such a little respect for this movie, I think you made that one up because that's a, that's a pretty good one. Um, give me the one in the middle. It's time to rebalance the scales. That one is just... That one's... I don't like that one at all. So I'm going to say that's actually a tagline for this movie. Okay. Uh, meaning the third would be a movie adjacent. Normally I like to... Ooh. None of these sounded like The Matrix. Uh, so I'm going to say it's an adjacent, but I don't have a pick. I'm going to say it's for the 13th floor. I'm just randomly picking one. All right. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, you got one, correct? Do you want to guess what it was? Uh, that you made up the best one? No. Uh, the best one was actually a tagline for this movie. I made up a super shitty one to fuck with you. I made up it's time to rebalance the scales because that was the caliber of movie this this was. Um, so search for truth, find freedom is the tagline for 2014's The Giver. Never watched the movie, but I read the book. Um, and it, it is a kind of, I guess you could say dystopian future where nobody's allowed to see color. And they basically try and like dumb everybody down. So they're kind of everybody's at the same level, except for one person, the giver who's allowed to see color and basically winds up being kind of a, um, what is it? Kind of like a history keeper for humanity and gets to basically hold on to emotions. Uh, but yeah, so the giver was where I went with that. Uh, starring Jeff Bridges, never haven't seen it though. So, uh, but yeah, other taglines for this movie were, in a future where freedom is outlawed, outlaws will become heroes. That was the main tagline for this movie. Two men, one battle, no compromise. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the premise of the movie. And the only thing more powerful than the system is the man that will overthrow it. I mean, I, I will agree that's a very accurate tagline. I, I, I was reading uh, a thread about this movie uh, and they said basically the final scene is when you level up your character to the maximum degree before you actually start a quest. Uh, <laughs> yeah, very much so. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, they said he was at the best at the beginning, so he has to become unstoppable by the end. Yeah, he's supposed to be the best at reading emotions. Clearly not. But yeah, he can sure handle himself in a fight. Um, so that concludes tag and title. Uh, do you have a uh, time capsule for us this week? Uh, I do, in fact. Because um, one thing we didn't mention, some of the cinematography in this movie is... Uh, specifically, I'm thinking about the flashback to when his wife was killed. Or, uh, I guess, arrested. It's difficult to convey flashbacks in a movie, but the way this movie does it with like the, the sepia filter and the odd like slowing of time. Do you do you recall the scene I'm talking about? Where Yeah, uh, Roderigue, Rod, Robert Rodriguez lets to do it a lot in like his Desperado films where it's just like it's just like weird and wonky. Like, 
Yeah. Yeah. For a second, I was like, "Is is the disc skipping?" And then I was like, "Wait, I'm streaming this. Like, why is what's with this odd like <laughs> slow motion choppiness?" But uh, that made me wonder who the uh, cinematographer uh, for this movie is, and it was a gentleman mm-hmm. by the name of Dion Beebe. Um, and here's the thing: he's an Oscar winner for cinematography. He won, he won the Academy Award for Memoirs of a Geisha like three years after this movie. He also worked on two Michael Mann movies, Collateral and Miami Vice, which uh, are very distinct looking movies. I, I think they're both gorgeous, but very distinct. Um, so it was weird because he was also nominated for another Oscar for Chicago. So the, the cinematographer was very... He has good credits to his name. This is Did not one Kurt of them. Kurt Wimmer just like like just overpower everybody on this movie because that's what it feels like. Knowing that you're just like, what the fuck happened with this movie? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if Kurt Wimmer was considered some sort of savant, like a, a whiz kid. I don't know. Clearly, his filmography does not reflect it. But yeah, and. The the second reason I brought up Dion Beebe is because he did a uh, 2017 Michael Fassbender thriller, The Snowman, Brett, which if we ever do a So Bad It's Good movie trilogy, The Snowman mm. will be my selection. Uh, but again, as shitty as The Snowman is, it's, it's pretty to look at. So like you said, I don't know what kind of juice Kurt Wimmer had or what kind of blackmail material he had making this movie, but... He got the least out of everyone involved. That's what I was saying. There's a lot of talent that was actually in this movie for it to just be so bad. Yeah, William Fickner. We didn't even mention William Fickner, but yeah. Mm. Him, Sean Bean, Tay Diggs, Angus McFadden, obviously Christian Bale. Two years from now will be the one of the biggest stars in Hollywood because he does Batman. So yeah, good Lord, what a waste of talent. Terrible, 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 terrible. Alrighty, sir. I think that brings us to our final segment, Chop Shop. I think you do you have comedy uh, i got uh, family friendly family friendly oh okay 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 um <laughs> i i got oscar bait which did i not get oscar bait because that's what i made i thought you got action i got blockbuster let me, you know what? I, I might have. I made an Oscar bait movie, so I wouldn't have called this a blockbuster movie. Well, no, and taking it out of the running. It's, it's, yeah. Oh, no, you, you literally say it. I got blockbuster, you got family friendly. Hmm. Well, I did Oscar bait, <laughs> so that's what you're getting this week. <laughs> Let's just continue the, uh, the Terry Gilliam trilogy. Yeah, it has been a fucking curse. Um, <laughs> But uh, do you do you want to start us off, or do you want me to start us off? <laughs> Sorry, I lost my composure. Brett just took his shirt off. Um, <laughs> I'll go ahead and start it off. 
Uh, well, I have to change. It was Oscar. I thought it was Oscar bait. I'm having to get into an action mode. All right. Oh, all right. So, yeah, I got family friendly. I did something a little interesting this week, Brett. Um, oh, God. So the first thing I'm going to scrap, because like I said, the world building in sci-fi is is very important. So I'm getting rid of this fucking nobody can feel emotion bullshit. I'm trying to pick a, a motif that feels a little more realistic. So what I did, instead of the future depicted in equilibrium, this future is going to be set in the same Earth depicted in last week's movie, Life. Uh, but it's going to be post-Calvin being defeated uh, on okay. Earth. So, like, it, it the, we defeated Calvin, but it came at a terrible cost. And as you can imagine, Brett, if if a alien... You know, if if alien life is discovered and then it immediately tries to destroy humanity, it's going to put a it's going to dampen curiosity, intellectual curiosity, mm-hmm. scientific curiosity. Um, so, yeah, this is not going to be a complete totalitarian government, uh, but it is going to be one that's it's pretty distrustful of science and curiosity in general. Got it. OK. Um, again, so there's no cleric. All that bullshit is out. So John Preston. Uh, Christian Bale's character, he is a burnt-out writer and illustrator of graphic novels. At the peak of his success, his graphic novels sold hundreds of thousands of copies. Uh, we'll say his work is kind of in the vein of Frank Miller, but a little less problematic. Uh, Preston's work uh, began to steadily decline once his wife was diagnosed with a terminal illness, and following her death, Preston stopped writing altogether. Uh, the movie's going to pick up two years after his wife's death. Uh, Preston initially tried to make a more serious novel uh, as a dedication to his wife, but he's hit writer's block. Uh, and he has a weekly chess match with his friend and regular collaborator, Errol Partridge, which is Sean Bean's character. Uh, Partridge finally decides to have the tough conversation with Preston, pointing out that he hasn't worked in years, he's not going to therapy anymore, and he doesn't seem to be improving. Uh, Errol's wife works at a boys and girls club and is constantly looking for volunteers and Errol suggests it to Preston who reluctantly agrees Uh, Mrs. Partridge suggests Preston work with an 11 year old boy named Robbie who enjoys drawing but comes from a troubled home and as such is very withdrawn he's withdrawn yeah withdrawn Mm -hmm. oh (laughs) because he's yeah Nice. Lost pictures. He's with withdrawn. <laughs> um, so we're gonna have the standard trope of of both of them kind of being wary of each other at first, and and slowly warming yeah. up. Weary. That's kind of a feeling, isn't it? Would you well, say they're having? Again, Brett, I, I've eliminated all that that bullshit. Well, so. I'm just saying again. It's, you would say that's an emotional. I would. Feel, that, yeah. No, wariness. That's, that's a fact. That's okay. A fact. Okay. Uh, so we're going to have the, the typical montage. Uh, this is family friendly again. So Preston and Robbie are going to go to the zoo. They're going to go to the aquarium. They're going to go to the amusement park. And finally, this montage will culminate. And of course, this is going to be like, you know, weeks depicted, maybe even months. Mm-hmm. Um, but the montage is going to culminate in Preston showing Robbie some of his old best-selling graphic novels. Robbie seems pleased, but not overly excited. Uh, Preston is somewhat deflated by Robbie's lack of reaction and the fact that he hasn't fully come out of his shell. Uh, the following week, Preston shows up at the Boys and Girls Club to pick up Robbie, but is informed Robbie wasn't dropped off today. 
Preston sadly returns home. Sadly. Also an emotion. Oh, okay, yeah. Good, yep. Uh, the next week, Preston again arrives to know Robbie. Uh, Preston confides in Mrs. Partridge that he just doesn't think he's reaching Robbie in any meaningful way, and that's likely the reason Robbie has stopped showing up to the club. Miss Partridge then asks Preston to follow her. Uh, they approach a wall lined with cubbies, each one containing various supplies and toys, you know, one cubby per child. She grabs Robbie's box and hands Preston a sketchbook that's inside. Preston thumbs through the book, and the camera is locked on his face. The more he reads, the more sto the more the stoicism in his face leaves, and, and Preston begins to tear up. Uh, we'll then get the reverse shot of the pages and realize that Robbie has illustrated the earlier montage into fantastical images. The zoo trip is illustrated as Preston and Robbie trekking through dangerous jungles armed with machetes and wearing traditional safari attire. The aquarium shows them aboard a Jacques Cousteau-like submarine with exotic sea creatures uh, seen outside the port windows. Instead of a roller coaster, the duo are aboard a spaceship blasting off from Earth in search of new life. <laughs> you, see? you see? And finally, uh, Preston showing his previous work is shown as the pair spelunking at a cave and stumbling upon a room full of treasure. We cut back to Preston with tears streaming, finally showing true emotion. He asks Miss Partridge if she has the boy's address, and she states that that kind of information can't be provided to non-staff. That's why she keeps it in the top drawer of her office desk as she points toward her office. Uh, she then says that she has to go speak with the rest of the staff and excuses herself with a knowing glance. Preston finds the address and goes to the home. Um, this is where I kind of yada, yada, yada it. Uh, he's going to find some sort of bad scene at the house. Uh, you know, Preston might be, you know, uh, he finds the kid cooking up heroin for his dope-free parent or some sort of verbal or physical abuse, you know, happening to Robbie. But whatever you want to choose. Um, and uh, Preston's going to basically adopt Robbie. And together, they're going to create a graphic novel utilizing both Preston and Robbie's art uh, that is dedicated to Preston's late wife. The movie will end with the pair at his wife's grave. Preston tells him that his wife would have loved to meet Robbie as credits roll, and then the end credits will be moving illustrations of the pair's book. Oh, I really like the end credits. So, so say, You could do an Angels in the Outfield situation in which they're in foster care. Robbie's in foster care, so maybe he's also lost somebody as well Ooh, there you go see that, that i needed you to clean it up on the back end so yeah that's that's the vibe i'm going for i thought because the whole not feeling emotion thing that that could be conveyed well it's not an equilibrium but that's why instead of like oh i stopped taking my medicine it's the kid that finally brings back the emotion out of of preston well i also like the idea of robbie being overly emotional because of what he's dealing with and preston is like emotionally suppressed because of what he's dealing with so then the the outs the, the two spectrums and together they bring themselves to equilibrium Ooh, there you go would you say they bring balance to the force brett i would say so yeah maybe even to the scales <laughs> so yeah that, that's what i had this week uh so your your oscar bait slash blockbuster yeah my uh yeah oscar buster uh is uh that's right here um a little bit of inspiration um maybe takes a little bit from t2 maybe a little irobot maybe some westworld all right maybe a little bit to you know i could tell they influenced perhaps the direction i went but maybe not you know heavy-handed 
So the movie opens up with a montage of war. Uh, voice over describing humanity's constant need to be God. Oh, I realized <laughs> I might have pulled a whimmer here and, and changed directions, and I'm not sure if this is actually going to be cohesive anymore. We'll find out by the end. Um, a constant need to be God led them to World War III, where an algorithm designed to save humanity would ultimately lead to its destruction when machines began to misinterpret their code and kill without question. Mankind was able to somehow beat back the machines, but civilization was splintered and warring factions began to take over. The world government decides that human emotion was volatile and the existence of the species would always be a threat so long as humanity could feel emotion. So I, I tried to, to, to fix what Wimmer did, all right? God bless you. So... Prosium is sold to the masses as a drug necessary to fight off the radiation poisoning and series of diseases that the world is still suffering from World War III, all right? So at no point do they realize what prosium actually is. It's just supposed to be something they take. Um, Preston is an enforcer whose responsibility is to find and remove outliers and basically contaminations, so not necessarily they're looking for art and stuff like that, but basically people that are, are considered that they're not taking their medication, so they risk bringing this radiation or disease into the, the safe zones. Preston and his partner, Partridge, often use caches of art and culture as traps. They are not allowed in the city due to their contamination risk because they've been in the outside world. But outliers appear to be drawn to them and have some connection to them. Destroying the art serves no purpose, so they don't wind up doing it. Like I said, they just basically create these trap rooms or trap uh, facilities. While arresting a group of heretics, Preston makes a comment that most of these people have removed their prosium devices, but some appear to have never had one to begin with. Partridge, or Partridge and Preston try to figure out how someone could have been born without a pump being installed. So, again, these are kind of like what I talked about earlier, like the uh, the insulin pumps. Um, without a pump ever being installed, when Partridge is attacked and his is damaged, unknowing to him or anybody around him. On the ride back to Liberia, or, yeah, I think, I think that was the place, uh, Partridge starts to get a headache. Uh, but mentions that he's fine and that he'll see Preston tomorrow at the Sector 17 raid. The next day, Partridge is visibly changed to the audience. He seems to be reacting to the art in the trap. Preston realizes that he's begun to feel emotion and sees him as a threat. Partridge begins to read some of the posters and books from around the room. His last words are that of uh, reading from Wolf Walder Emerson. He looks to Preston and says... Life is a secession, or a secession of lessons that must be lived to be understood. What do you think he meant by that, Preston? Right before Preston kills him without remorse and calls for a decontamination unit to torch the body. Preston is then introduced to his new partner, Brant, who has been charged with determining the cause of our Partridge's malfunction. Before they leave the city, Preston is notified that his pump is low, but he says that he has enough to get him through the raid. So again, this is one of these, they're not self-injecting, but he's he needs to go and get ready or uh, more. During a raid, Preston and um, Brant, I have it as Brandy here for some reason, I guess autocorrect. <laughs> uh, Preston and Brant are separated and their vehicle is destroyed. While in hiding, Preston's device runs out. He kills a man while trying to get back to the city walls, and begins to feel dizzy shortly after and vomits. He doesn't understand what's going on. He believes um, 
he's been he's been contaminated. He retreats to a known trap house to wait for enforcers to show up to take him back into the city. This is where he begins to feel more. He is ambushed at the trap house, and because he is overwhelmed with feeling, he is overpowered and taken to the underground's uh, HQ. There he learns that the people being killed are actually a collection of rogue androids that have not had a damaged algorithm and humans trying to rebuild humanity. They devise a plan for Preston to meet the father in order for them to sabotage it and, and basically be... Um, he finds out also that, you know, Prosium is actually a emotional suppressant and it has nothing to do with radiation or contamination. It's just a way to control the masses. So Preston completes the plan, but when he confronts Father, he finds out that Father isn't real. Father is a rogue AI. The algorithm designed to save humanity had become corrupted, and the AI determined that the only way to save humanity was to take away its freedom and emotions. It designed Prosium to turn humanity into the machines that they created, allowing them to complete tasks to preserve their species. And then I kind of left it there. Uh, I wasn't sure if he's going to defeat the AI or it just becomes kind of a solemn thing where Preston winds up dying and we realize that ultimately in order for us to, you know, the AI have determined the only way for humanity to save itself is essentially to become the machines that they created. First of all, I, I want to give you my compliments, but... I, I don't know how much time you spent on that, but what you did, you just made a few tweaks to the existing material that I don't understand why professionals didn't make. Like, again, lie about what they're taking. You're, you think you're taking it for radiation. It's a form of control. You're not just going to be counted on to take it yourself. So it's going to be implanted in you. And it's going to, like, like you said, an insulin pump. Just these minor tweaks, I don't, I, I don't get why they weren't made, you know, in 2002 with this movie, because you just open up the world and, and you actually have an opportunity to make a good movie. Yeah. And the, the last little tweak I did was, again, having the father figure actually be an AI, because that leads it to the leader and the person make are the thing making the decisions doesn't have any emotions. So, like, you don't have somebody at the top who is pro like who could be compromised there there's something constantly driving this so and i even mine i think needs some tweaks because i know where i was trying to go with it and didn't quite get there um but yeah ultimately i was i was okay with it you know i think i i polished up what and i think it it could be oscar worthy with the again the idea of what what i was trying to go with the what is it to be human to be alive and then like i said i think by the end of it i hadn't quite circled back to that whether it was the ai trying to be human or the ai not understanding what it means to live and originally i had that kind of written there but i couldn't figure out how to make it work where like it misinterpreted live and lie you know being alive is literally just keeping humanity alive but in reality what the program the algorithm was supposed to do was allow people to like live so but there was no way i couldn't come up with a sentence where live in live and yeah yeah where that i could make it to where there would be confusion if depending on who was reading it give enough time i probably could have but i was i don't know i i just wanted to say oscar shoff's penis because you were just kind of just <laughs> you were rambling there at the end brett red yeah yeah 
Yeah, good stuff. Keep my chop shop out of your fucking mouth. Right? <laughs> we almost made it the whole way without a Will Smith reference. <laughs> oh. Uh, all right. I mean, final opinions on this movie, I think, is all we really have to do to wrap it up. Uh, Travis, I think people got to listen to me ramble long enough, so let's let's have a change in voice. What final opinion? It's absolute fucking dog shit. I don't recommend anyone watch it ever. The only thing, the only, literally, the one compliment I can give the movie, and if for some reason you've listened to this and you still want a little more equilibrium, the best scene in the movie, and I'll argue the only good scene in the movie, is Sean Bean's death. I thought that scene was very well done, like taking the book up to his face so that, you know, you shoot him through the book. Obviously, the you know the symbolism there is not quite uh, the lightest touch, but um, you know him reading from Yeats. Uh, that that's a really good scene, and it's on an island in the middle of an ocean of shit. So that's so. It. The interesting thing about, according to the director, I believe, and reading the trivia is. The violence in the movie, I guess, is supposed to escalate from the very beginning where, like, you don't see a lot of bullets or bullet wounds to at the end it's supposed to be super, like, grotesque. And I'm like, maybe you needed to see some Tarantino movies because when I read what you were trying to do, I'm like, that final scene when he, for fuck's sake, when he cuts Tay Diggs' face off, I'm like, there's, like, that's not gruesome at all. Like, it's actually kind of hokey. I'm like, there should, like... The fact he's wearing a white suit, he should have walked out of that scene in a red suit is how like over the top it should have been if that's what you're going for. But they're like, oh, yeah, there's actually blood squirting from people. I'm like, barely. I mean, I, that's not even what would like realistically would come out of them. Like, it's still a cartoon. Like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Can you imagine but, if in Django Unchained in the final shootout, Django had been wearing a white suit? Like, with all the oh, squibs yeah. and stuff going off. So, yeah, th this director seems, uh, as my grandmother What's, used to say, he seems touched. Yeah. It, <laughs> it seems like, I don't know if he has original ideas or he knows ideas that have worked in other places and just does not know how to execute is what it seems like. Because, honestly, the idea of equilibrium, high level, isn't, terrible i still think it needs to be like it's not all emotion you have to pick like what emotion or what's what you're trying to suppress people. like but the idea of a tyrannical government trying to suppress people to where they don't rise up like that's not a terrible idea it's just the way you went about it makes no fucking sense and like and again like, it goes back to the very beginning don't create a world you created a world and you didn't understand how it even operates like you are literally the god of this movie and you've forgotten the rules you've put in place for your your creation that's it drives me up the wall so to echo you i don't think this is a good movie i don't think it's worth watching um i don't even think it's the like because gun didn't take off there's no cultural relevance to this movie whatsoever either uh it is just a ton of potential lost um you know to to an emotionless crash grab uh, is all i can think is there's just nothing about this movie that's really interesting so it's kind of fun to shit talk but that's about it
Even the poster sucks. Oh my god, dude. The poster's fucking like terrible. Somebody uh, whipped that up in about 15 minutes on a deadline. It looks like somebody took their pictures and put them through a copier and then blew it up and put like some type over. I'm like, there's nothing about this that makes any sense. Like, it's so bad. Yeah. Hmm. So, with that said, we thank y'all for joining us. You know, uh, the wrap up, the, we did a terrible job introduce, like for the, the trilogy uh, yeah. we call introduction to sci-fi. Like really, we just wanted to introduce the, the concept of, or the, the category of sci-fi into our chop shops, but we could have done, I was just thinking, man, like Jurassic Park would have been a fantastic sci-fi movie. Like there were so many better. Oh yeah. We chose Brazil cause we, neither of us had seen it. I don't know why the fuck we chose life at equilibrium though. I chose life just because I, I wanted to see what you thought about the the downer ending, uh, mm. and and also I remembered it being somewhat decent. But it's funny you you said in the life review that it was a complete bastardization of Alien. I think it at least was a better bastardization than Equilibrium was of the Matrix. Uh, I'll at least say <laughs> yes. that. That's <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, even on our own show, we've done stuff like Total Recall, which is sci-fi, technically mm-hmm. Eternal Sunshine. Yeah. Why? Yeah, we. I apologize. Uh, again, I, I put on Facebook uh, about this show and you come in into this trilogy. So I apologize. I think. Can we can we say what we're doing in the future, Brett? So we're, we're going to have a quick one off because we wanted to line everything up perfectly. We're still determining what that one-off will be next week. But yeah, if you want to go ahead and say... what We have the next two trilogies are lined up. If you want to go ahead and say what they're going to be. Well, I, I, I'm i just going to say we're doing Star Wars. Now, it's it's the prequel trilogy, uh, but we're going to do that to line up with May the 4th. Uh, and the only positive to this trilogy, Brett, is I am now super excited to do the prequel trilogy. <laughs> like, Well... But not only that, it's May the 4th, and it's leading up to the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. So we wanted to make sure we picked the prequel specifically so that, you know, it would encourage everybody to be up to date with what happens to the events up to Kenobi. So, yeah. yeah. So we're going to gonna have a little, uh, we're going to have a spinoff. Uh, did you want to officially call it the Cantina Side Hustle? Is that is that official? Uh, yeah, so I think, yeah, we're going to do the Cantina Side Hustle. So, it, um... We're going to review episode by episode the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. So look forward to that as well. Some some new fun side content coming out here. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, do you have anything before we sign off here? Uh, just sorry. Yeah. Again, <laughs> it's uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it in the wrap, but it's definitely one of those. We came off of what I described as one of my favorite trilogies we've ever done with the engine powered where I loved or at least liked every movie that was in that and then somehow fell into what i might call our worst trilogy we've ever put together (laughs) i'm I'm ready to put the stamp on it when you also throw in the fact that again the acts of god including tornadoes have contributed to this trilogy Mm -hmm. being a pain in the ass so yeah uh when we record that wrap up which won't be tonight because it took us an hour to get started (laughs) due to Mm -hmm. audio issues i'll be glad when we put this baby to bed yeah Mm mm-hmm so all right well thank y'all and uh travis any last words but i being 
poor have only my dreams. I have spread my dreams under your feet. Tread softly because you tread on my dreams. I assume you dream, Brett. All right, I'm hitting record now. Um, let's do a countdown and see where it, where it takes us. You know, we've now been at troubleshooting audio for just over an hour, uh, I believe, an hour and fifteen minutes. And um, I do believe uh, we're going to try and start uh, the episode. So let's uh, do a, a countdown or a count up. One, two, three, clap. You ready? <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let's go. Hello and welcome to an emotionless episode of Hollywood Chop Shop. I completely forgot how I was planning on deadpanning uh, the beginning of this episode, so let me go ahead and re-fucking do that one. I'm, dude, I'm moving the camera over my audio, and I'm, I'm like scared because I'm like at that point, if anything goes wrong, I won't know that it's gone wrong. Oh.